Awesome. So um, Cameron is in Japan, as many of you know, other side of the world right now. And um, you're going to hear a little update um, at the uh, announcement time. Um, but this morning, Seth and I are talking about um, God's heart for people, his heart for Kalamazoo, and how he wants to include us in that. And um, I had a vision um, in the beginning of October when I was at Toronto at the Three Streams Convergence. And in this vision, I was, um, I was in heaven, and I saw this um, kind of cloudy bridge that I was supposed to walk across, and these doors open, and I went through, and um, I entered into this really large room. And in this room, there was this massive bowl in the center, and in the bowl was this massive fire, just huge fire. And on the other side of that was the throne of God. And just immediately after I saw that, I saw a map of the United States. And on that map, there was like little places where these the, these fires were um, that God had planned for these cities. And it was like God was taking fire from that bowl and putting it in different places in the U.S. And I knew and saw that God had, you know, one of those for Kalamazoo, that he has, he has a fire in store. And as I've kind of shared that vision with numerous people, different people from different churches and um, some different... Um, kind of places I go, I've been hearing that, that same word or prophetic picture has been um, said before and that this isn't new. You know, this is something that kind of people in the Kalamazoo area who are attuned to hear God are, are aware and praying into God moving really mightily in Kalamazoo. So that's something that we can look forward to. Um, and also just, um, I just really feel like just that, that, um, closeness with God and it's for us, you know, to be a part of that. And so that's why we're talking about this this morning is just how we can be a part of what God's doing. So um, you have to excuse my voice. I, uh, I've, yeah, I think I've got an anointing from Cameron for that deep voice. <clears throat> I don't know if that's what it is, but um, so, yeah, so God's been speaking to me about the impossible, and God is God of the impossible, and um, he, uh, he, he started speaking to me about proclaiming over our city that everyone in this city will come to know Jesus. And that, okay, let me click on logic for a second. Logic says that's impossible. <laughs> logic says there's, um, it's physically probably impossible for something to happen. And I start, so I started thinking about it. So is this, you know, have I heard of this happening before? Has this happened in history? Um, and the answer is yes. It has actually happened in history. Um, in, in fact, our good friend Jonah the prophet who ran away, okay, he was um, to Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh changed overnight. Nineveh, the city, who was, the Ninevites were the most um, brutal, um, they were, yeah, they were just horrible people, bat, armies that didn't, that, that were going to get taken over by Nineveh would rather kill themselves rather than be faced with um, the Ninevites, and because they were just brutal with people, they'd do horrible things. Um, and so people would choose to take their lives instead of doing that, and um, uh, about Nineveh, you know, their city is based on a fish god. So think about that for a second. Their deity, their highest deity, was a fish god. Where did Jonah come out of? A fish. All right? So Jonah was a sign to Nineveh 
to turn their ways. And I think it's really interesting how God used, you know, he gave Jonah an audience, a, a, a position to speak as he gets thrown out of this fish, right? And you guys know that Nineveh turned. Nineveh changed. That city changed because of Jonah coming and speaking a word. I would not want to go to Nineveh and say, <laughs> um, God's going to judge you. That's not what I would want to do because I would probably get, you know, um, yeah, brutally murdered. Um, and I'm sure that that's what Jonah was thinking, right? And that's why he went the opposite way first, right? That's why he went the opposite way because he didn't want to face that. He didn't want to be a part of that. But God set it up, spit him out of the fish. All of a sudden, he's got an audience and an entire city, an entire nation changed toward God. And so, I, you know, God, our God is the, is the God of the impossible. And, and people have, you know, people have been, I, I've heard this multiple times, you know, God's gonna, God's gonna work in Kalamazoo, God's gonna do something in Kalamazoo. And I just wanna, you know, when I hear that initially, and what you might be feeling right now is, okay, that's ridiculous and that's impossible. How many of you thought that? Because I've thought that. You can be honest, it's okay. Alright, good. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Um, honesty in church is good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Didn't, didn't work. Um, but God's, God set us up to be a light, right? God set us up to be a sign. God's, God's made us, you and me. He wants to partner with us for this to happen. He wants to use us to make that happen. It seems like there's this gap in our minds between um, um, being used by God outside of this place right here. We're, we're good at just pressing into our relationship with God and, and, you know, spending time with God and growing and encouraging each other and discipling. And, and Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all men. It's not just about making disciples. There's a whole other half that's about, about connecting. So, um, I, you know, for me, it's a challenge at my workplace, you know, let's get, let's get real. It's a challenge. I, I run into Christians all the time and it's really easy to talk to them about God, <laughs> right? It's really easy to co- communicate with people that kind of talk your same language and, and understand and have the same basis as you do, but it's really difficult to have genuine, real conversations with people, um, to be salt and light to them to draw them in to what God's doing. But we are. That's, that's our role. That's who we are. That's as much a part of who God's called us to be as this is right here. You know, it's just as much about that as it, as it is about this. But <clears throat> God never called us to accomplish things that we could do on our own, in our own strength. When he says to go out and raise the dead and heal the sick, do you think that we can somehow do something? We can't. He wants to partner with us so that when we pray for the sick, his healing power comes and does something. It's not, it's not us that somehow magically has you know, this ability to do it. He's called us to do impossible things. He's called us to do things that are beyond what we're capable to do. In fact, I think that it's easy for us to be comfortable doing the things that we know we can do in our own strength. And we just kind of do those things and feel good about those things. But God's called us 
to do the impossible, to actually step out in faith, to not knock down our pride and not listen to our pride, and to obey what he's asking us to do, and to to and then see how he comes through, and see how he does things, and see how he works it. So, um, in Luke 15, um, there's... Uh, this, these three parables that, that Jesus talks about. In verse 11, it talks about the prodigal son and how the father loves his son, accepts him, always wants to draw him back, always wants to bring him back. In verse 3, it talks about Jesus as the shepherd, leaving the 99, going out and looking for the lost, going out and seeking that one. Okay, and that's the same heart that we want to have. The third one, the third parable there is the, about the coin and the woman. And I'm just going to read that here quickly. And I'm reading out of the New King James. So verse 8. Or what woman, woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice for me, for, li- for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God <clears throat> over one sinner who repents. So, there's this coin that's an inanimate object. It's lost. It's, behind the, it's in the cracks of the floor. It's somewhere. It's not found, right? It, it in and of itself, can't do anything, Okay? And then there's the woman, knows the thing, the coin's lost, chooses to take action to find that coin. All right? So the woman can represent us. The woman can represent the church. And I believe it represents Jesus too, but I really believe it represents us. That we are the ones that need to actually seek out the ones that need to know Jesus. We are the ones that need to seek out the, the lost. You know, and we, we sow... We water and we reap. It's all part of it. But are we willing to do whatever is called for in that, in that moment? Um, one thing that <clears throat> we've found is to, to kind of get us to this place where we're willing to, to lay down our, our time. Time is a big thing for me. It's, it's like God, um, God's teaching me to give up my time because I'm, I'm generally, I have a lot of things going on in my life and my, my time is very kind of partitioned and specific about certain things. But God, God spoke to me a, a few months ago and said, you know what? It's just like money. Like all the, all the money that you have, I've given to you. It's, it's, it's really mine. It's the same thing with time. All the time God's given to us, it's His. It's not for us. It's for Him. And so I have, I have, realized that it's really important for me to be willing to change my plans if God wants to do something. And it's, that's not my nature. <laughs> it's not easy for me. It's not, not the thing. I, I know people. I know people who just thrive to have that schedule changed so they can follow an adventure of God. I'm like, I've got this plan. I need to do this. This is what I'm doing right now. And I take ownership of my own time and, and, and that's that's a detriment because sometimes God wants to break up our time and and use us and take us to do things that we weren't expecting, and 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 are we you know are we willing to do that? And I'm talking to myself here, <laughs> like, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to do that to 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 um, choose to follow Him when He asks me to do something? So, um, so time is sacri- 
sacrificing. It's sacrificing that time. It's, it's that time that's mine. I'm going to sacrifice that and give it to you, God. And so um, this aspect of sacrifice and, and just allowing God, you know, to, to correct or, or, or um, to point out things that actually pull us away from what he's really wanting us to do and he's calling, calling us to do. I mean, lots of us fasted for 40 days or a certain time period um, for the call and that was a sacrifice. I wanted to eat a steak really badly because I really like steak and I didn't. And there's something inside of me that says, what's wrong with eating a steak? There's nothing wrong with eating a steak. There's no, you know, that's not evil. It's not sin. And yet, I, you know, God called us to give up something, to sacrifice something. And um, uh, another, uh, so sacrifice is real. Like, it, it hits you. It kind of hits you in the gut, and you feel entitled to that thing that you're sacrificing. I'm not necessarily talking about sin here. Obviously, if there's sin, God wants us to get rid of sin. He wants to heal us of that. He wants to uh, take care of that. But just... Okay, fantasy football. I'll admit it. Fantasy football, it's this kind of football, based on real life football strategy game. It's all about numbers. It's about um, competition. It's a gr- generally guys, sometimes girls, like we all have these teams and we try to figure out who we want to play for that week and then they get points based on what happens in real life. Anyway, um, I love it. It's fun. It, I'm passionate about it. It's community. I'm like, God, I love this. Every year, it's so exciting to play fantasy football because I get with my, the guys and we hang out and we have a good time and it's awesome. And um, I felt like God told me to give up fantasy football this year. Oh, man. And literally, I feel ridiculous saying this, but I fought back and forth with God for days. Like, you want me to be happy, God. Like, you want me to enjoy life. You want me to enjoy community. That's what this is. It's all, you know, you can make up all the reasons why something that isn't sin, it's not necessarily harmful, but God just asks you to give something up. And he's got a purpose for that, for for giving up things. And, and... I so I finally gave in. I finally gave up. I honestly did not know how I would be able to make it without doing fantasy football. I mean, it's ridiculous. I know. I know it's and here's the thing. It's actually that's actually the result is I realize in some ways the things that I'm most maybe most passionate about or excited about uh, things actually in light of what God wants to show me in light of what God what God wants to do those things become smaller and smaller and smaller. They become less and less important. And what I fought for, for three days with God about, all of a sudden, it's found its true priority in my, in my list. It has found its true priority in my list. And so, um, I re- you know, God knows when he asks us to give something up, it's not just for the sake of, of giving it up. Sacrifice isn't... It isn't for the sake of sacrifice. Sacrifice isn't like this obligation that we just have to, we feel obligated that we have to do a certain thing. It's actually, there's a plan. Like, he's smart. He knows the things that we think we can't live without that actually we can and actually maybe need to be put in a different priority, part of our priority list. 
And so I, I just want to encourage you guys with that. You know, if, if you feel like God is, is challenging you to, and for me, the, 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 bigger, the bigger one, honestly, is the time thing. I mean, that just allowing God to change my schedule and, and impact someone with his love. That's the whole purpose. He wants his love, sowing, um, planting, uh, planting um, watering, and reaping. It's all about giving, showing people a love experience with God. And wherever they are along that path of being drawn into him, we want to give them a love experience. So giving up our time, sacrificing whatever we need to sacrifice for the kingdom. Um, God is all about doing the impossible. Yeah. Yeah, and um, also just along with that, sacrifice comes great fulfillment. You know, it is it is amazing how fulfillment just is birthed in sacrifice. Um, a lot of you know Josh Stover. He is in Japan right now. I was going to have him tell this story, but he's there, so he couldn't. And he told me I could. So, um, and during dwell and um, a couple months ago, someone had come up to the microphone and just gave him a prophetic word that God wanted to um, to take a minute and and maybe speak to us about things in our lives that we might give up for Him or things that were kind of taking away from our relationship with Him. And so we had a minute of silence where people could just ask the Lord. And um, after a few minutes, Josh came up to the mic and he just said, I felt like God told me to give up TV. So I said, yes, after thinking about it for a minute. And then after I said, yes, he said, and your video games. <laughs> and he said, okay. And he said, when you give those things up, I'm going to um, give you pictures and visions that you wouldn't see if you had not done that. And he said, I'm also going to, um, he said, I want you to, to, to sell those things, and then I want you to pay off your medical bill, bills with those. And um, so Josh said yes, and he kind of said it on the mic so that we could, like, hold him accountable in a sense. And we all were like, whoa, dude, <laughs> that's, that's intense, <laughs> you know. And, but I was so proud of him. And um, so he did it. He proceeded to do that, and some of the people in his church benefited from that. Um, <laughs> So he sold, he sold everything. He paid off his medical bills. And then shortly after that, he realized, it just took a, a few weeks, but he realized that when he was small, some difficult things happened in his life, and he turned to video games and TV to fill a hole that was in his heart. And he like, had to realize that after it was gone. You know, he, he couldn't see that. And so he went and met with someone and got some healing and had that kind of area of his heart you know, filled with the Lord. And, um, and then since then, even, he said that what he's noticed is that the void kind of that was there with there, the, the, what was there with TV and video games, now that that's removed, he can see that he has kind of, he said he, he realized a lack of relationships, level of depth, or even just the amount of relationships, and he realized that was what he was really hungering for that whole time. So he has pursued friendships and been able to grow in, in his friendships and, and to spend more time with people, have more people over than he ever has. I mean, it's, it's been huge for him. And he said all he has is CDs and books. You know, and um, he just does that. He spends more time with God. And he said, in general, he just feels a greater sense of fulfillment. And, and so while God's called him to something that seemed at first difficult, there was greater fulfillment in that. And what happens is, is we start getting motivated by the right things. And so that's what I'm about to talk about. Um, what I heard God say this week was just how much he loves you. He loves you so much. He is passionate about you. He is pursuing your heart. He is just, 
you know, like his energy, the things that he does is after pursuing your heart until you were fully one with him or fully kind of in a love relationship with him. That's what his heart is. And it's also for the people out there. His heart is just as much for them as it is for you. And I felt like he was saying, you know, I love, I love working with my people. I love working with you. He loves to work with you. He loves to see what his work is come out and be fulfilled in your life. And I felt like he was saying that um, he wants to include us. He wants us to be like him, what he created us for. And um, he kind of pointed me to the story of Adam in the Bible in the very beginning when he created the, the world. In Genesis 2, it says, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave his names, na- gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. See, at that time, God had just created the world, so his job was to go ahead and just develop what he had just done. So what did he do? He created man, and he said, man, let's do this together. Come on, Adam. Let's keep developing. You do this part. You do this part. Why don't you name the creatures? And, and, and Adam, like he had given Adam the perfect gifts that he needed to be able to do that. And, um, and even when Eve was, was made, you know, God said, this is woman, and Adam called her Eve. You know, he even named his wife and um, the woman that God gave him, and he just kept going with that gift, you know. So, so God started with the first man, including him in on the work, father and son working together, and that's exactly what it is for us. He just wants to include us. The problem now is that we've fallen, and so there's sin in the world. So now God's job is to save us. That's God's job description. So what's our job description if we come under that and if we say yes, then our job description is to help him in that. And that's what he loves. He just loves to do his work with us because he loves us so much. It gives him great joy. I just had such a sense of how much joy God gets to experience when we do his work. He just is like so delighted. He just is like, yes, my kids are doing it. You know you know how you ever see a father-son business? And you can see, like, that the son kind of takes on the father's business and, like, does the work, you know. And it's just cool to see that. I feel like that's just kind of a representation of what we do as Christians. But let's take a look at two people in the Bible who God kind of wanted to include in on his work. So the first one is Moses. Here we have Moses, who's minding his own business in the wilderness, just hanging out. Hanging out with his sheep or his cattle, you know, his belongings. Probably had a tent, you know. And um, he's moseying on through the wilderness. And God kind of tapped him on the shoulder with this massive flaming bush. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and this is the thing. God was like, huh, I see these people in Egypt. I'd like to free them. They need to be set free. So here I've got this guy, Moses, who I've given him everything he needs to be the people that saves them. Let me tell him all about it. Let's see what happens. Okay, so here's God, and here's Moses. And he, you know, flaming bush, it's all crazy. Guess what, Moses? I've got this idea. You can come with me and help me to deliver the people from Egypt. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) This is Moses' response. Hmm. And um, Exodus 3.11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know, how many times when God asks us to do something and we're like, Oh, no, Lord. (laughs) That's a great idea and all, but I think uh, I'll stay at home and watch CSI. (laughs) Yeah, so... 
know. Yeah, so, so, so Moses, you know, his response is immediately like, oh, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. You know, how many times do we do that when God asks us to do something? Or even if we hear about something being talked about on the stage, we're like, that's good for them. Awesome. Not for me. I'm going to stay at my house, do my things. It's just easy to just immediately uh, look at your inadequacies and look at your insecurity. That's what Moses did. So it goes on and on. So God's like, well, you know, but, but these people are in Egypt, and they are, you know, suffering, and we'd really like to free them, and it would be great if you could do it. And Moses is like, he puts up these arguments, you know. Well, I have a speech impediment. How am I supposed to speak in front of Pharaoh? You know, God, I mean, I have the speech impediment, you know. But what is God's answer? Every time Moses has an argument, this is God's answer. I will certainly be with you. And then when Moses brings up the whole thing about his speech impediment, God's like, I will be with your mouth. I will be with you. And God knows that inside Moses, he has what it takes to do this thing, even though Moses can't see that. So what happens is, is a series of miracles God performs. He's like, okay, well, I'll do this. I'll do this. Do you see how I'm going to turn your um, staff into a snake and then turn it back? I'm going to do all these amazing things. And he's like proving before Moses' eyes his miraculous ability. And then Moses is like, okay. And he also gets Aaron and his brother to also speak. And, you know, God helps him out in a sense, you know. Let's look at Gideon. Switching to another one. There's so many parallels between Moses and Gideon. In Judges 6, <clears throat> there's these people who, you know, this, this clan of Israelites, and, um, and Gideon is one of them. And they have fallen into lots of sin. And because of that, there's this open door, and the enemy has been hounding this kind of tribe of people. And so there's this enemy right close. And Gideon is actually threshing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding because everyone's hiding. They're all in caves all the time because this enemy keeps coming and stealing their food and taking all their crops. And they, they really are just kind of being terrorized by this enemy. But this is why. It's because they had been in sin a whole bunch. And so the consequence of that sin was this enemy was in place. And so, but God, even in his mercy, because that's how good God is, when we trip up in sin, God sends a deliverer, or he, he delivers us in some way. Because he's so good, he just loves us. So he's like, okay, I'm going to select Gideon. I have this great idea. I'm going to deliver these people from this enemy. And so here he says, he basically lays out the plan. I'm going to use you, oh, mighty man of valor. <laughs> and Gideon's like, what? What does Gideon do? He looks at himself. He says, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Very similar to Moses. He looks within himself, and he's like, how could I possibly do this? He's seeing his inadequacy. He's seeing what he can't do. And of course he can't, but God can. So what is God's answer? Same as Moses. I will be with you. And that is the answer for us. He is with us. He is with us. Not only is he with us, but he is in us. You know, he's, he's totally, fully inside of us, and he's given us everything we need to accomplish things he's called us to. And I'm not just talking, you know, going out and, you know, preaching the good news to people, but also just in our lives, you know, being able to step outside of ourselves and help another person or give love or encouragement to someone or even serve at New Day, you know. So we have these two guys. God's got great ideas for them and what their life could be like. God wants to include them on the supernatural deliverance that he was about to do. 
you know, and all they could look at was their inadequacy. But with both Gideon and Moses, and this happened with Gideon, Gideon kept having God do these miracles before his eyes to prove that he was going to do the work, that God was going to show up. And so what do we need to do when God asks us to do something? We immediately look within ourselves. Worry, doubt, and fear are produced. You know, they're, they're there. And, and, and what does God do with Gideon and Moses? He shows them how amazing he is. He keeps showing them how amazing he is. So our answer is that we need to look at what God's doing. We need to look at the miracles that he's doing. We need to, like, worship him. Because when we worship him, all of the goodness of him is produced in us. You know, all of that faith just rises up when we worship him. And so we look to him. We worship him. We acknowledge him. We read his word. We see what he's done. And that gets inside of us. And then we're, we're like unstoppable. You know, that passion, his love takes over in our hearts. And we just can't do anything but serve him. You know, when we choose him over and over and really give our whole heart to him, you can't help but have that passion that's just unstoppable. You can't help it. I've tasted of it a little bit, and I can say that that's true. It is amazing how when you choose God over and over, and you really give him your whole heart, that passion that you kind of want, you see in other people, starts happening in your own heart, and you are able to get over yourself and reach out. You know, you're able to get rid of your own stuff, and you're able to to get outside of yourself and touch other people's lives. Yeah, so so looking within ourselves produces worry and doubt and fear. And looking at God produces miracles, deliverance, and faith. And that's what happened with Gideon, and that's what happened with Moses, and so many other people. Those are just two guys. But there's a point that your passion for God and overwhelming love for him and the people that he loves that really we don't have in our heart to love, you know, it, it our, our passion, our love for him, and what he does in our hearts becomes that thing that gets over our insecurity, our inadequacy, our own self sense of obligation, or our own selfishness, our own self-focusedness, that passion gets produced in us and overcomes all that stuff and comes out. And that's what we want, you know? We don't want to fake it. <laughs> but the thing is, is the answer is found in him. And when he said to those guys, Gideon and Moses, I am with you, he meant it, and he showed up. And what was the result of those two things? You know, the Israelites were taken out of Egypt. There was the most miraculous deliverance of all time with the parting of the Red Sea, the Israelites going through, and the enemy being kind of like swallowed up in that Red Sea. And not only that, but they were able to enter into the promised land, you know, and have true freedom. And then with Gideon, this whole clan that had been terrorized for years by this army, Gideon had this army of 10,000. And God whittled it down to 300. He's like, yeah, I could do it with 10,000, but how about let's try it with 300? That makes it even better. So he gets 300 of these guys, and they go into the enemy's camp, and there's like swords turning on each other in the enemy's camp, and they're all just dying and fleeing. And all that Gideon and those guys had to do is crash these pitchers and like these torches and yell really loud. And, like, the whole enemy just flees. So it's completely supernatural. I mean, but, but really, they needed Gideon to lead that group, you know. And so it's like we need to do something. You know, we actually have to do something. But God just does all the real work, you know. He really does the deliverance. He really does do it. So I have a story. Sean, you want to come up here? Sean is amazing. He has a real heart for people, and it's just beautiful to see. 
And um, he, this is just a story of what happens when you go after the one, you know, when you take that time and you give people some of the love of God. Um, all right. Uh, over the summer, there was a group of us. We were um, going up to Grand Rapids for a movie, and uh, I was about 15 minutes ahead of them. And while I was sitting in the parking lot waiting, I just had this urge to jump up on the, the, the roof of my Jeep. And so I jump up on the roof of my Jeep, and I'm up here texting and everything, and um, I hear this voice. I hear this guy's voice, and he goes, uh, what are you doing? And I was just like, I'm standing on my Jeep. And he goes, I know, but why? And I was like, well, that's why I bought a Jeep. And uh, he, <laughs> I know, why not? It's a Jeep. Um, but anyway, you know, he chuckled a little bit like that, and then he walked up and got really serious, and he says, uh, Hey, I need to know if you guys, or if you could give me a ride a half mile down the road to a um, to a hotel, and you know something didn't set with me. I was like, you know, that's a half mile. Why why would I give you a ride a half a mile? And uh, he goes, well, look, you know, I don't have any guns. I don't have anything. I'm not going to hurt you. Um, I just really need a ride. And and so I jump off, and I'm like, well, what's going on? And he starts telling me. He says, um, he says. My girl uh, just got beat up. He, she she just recently got beat up by two guys, and and uh, he starts showing me all these wounds, like she had a punctured lung, and and um, so she was really in pain and everything, you know. And and she looks up at me and she goes, "Do you have any drugs or any alcohol or anything in that car?" And I'm just like, you know, I don't, no, I don't do that stuff. You know, I follow Jesus. Um, and uh, you know, he was kind of like he was a little bit taken back when I said that. Something struck with him. He's like, oh, "So you know Christ?" Huh? And I was just like, "Yeah." And and that got left alone for a minute. She comes and stands next to me, and I just I feel God show up, and this like gaze comes out of me. Like I just feel this gaze, like, "Whoa, what's going on?" This is really intense. And I look at her, and just by uh, looking at her, she just breaks down and starts crying, and just like bawling her eyes out, and. uh the same exact thing happened with him. He walks up and just through a look, he starts bawling his eyes out. It was just really intense. And like he's taken off and, you know, I'm just like, wow, this is wild. So he's crying, she's crying. And, and finally the other group show up and they pull up in front of the, of the uh, movie theater. And I'm like, man, I really need these guys over here, you know. And uh, I hear one of the workers behind me. She comes in, she's getting in her car and she yells at some people going into the theater and she goes, Hey, you guys, the movie theater's closed. All the power's out in the mall, so there's no movie. That's when I was like, all right, what are you doing? You know, this is crazy, man. And so uh, Chad and Chloe come up because they were there. They were, they were part of the other group. They come up, and um, um, Chad walks up. You know, uh, these two are crying, and it, he's just standing there, and he goes, you know, he looks at the, the woman. He goes, I, I really feel like God wants to give you a hug. Can I give you a hug? And he stands there with his arms open like this. He just stands there. He stands there. And we're like, oh, man. Finally, she gets up off the Jeep and, 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 and gives, him, gives him a hug. And she breaks down, man. I mean, she's crying so hard. It's hurting her and everything. And, and so after that, like, Chad and I pray for uh, the guy. And we, we, we sit in the parking lot for 45 minutes just talking with him. And he's laying everything out and... And we're just praying for him. And uh, while we're sitting there, I can hear Chloe up in in the car singing over the woman, just singing this song over uh, over and over. I just hear it. It's just amazing. And so after that, we end up taking him to the hotel and uh, getting him a room and, and buying him dinner and everything. And, 
because they were talking about how hungry they were. So it just it was just such an experience. And that's it. Um, so yeah, so good. So um, Chloe actually, the the girl was just saying, you know, I deserve everything that I had gotten. She was actually the girl was a prostitute, and she had been kind of assaulted basically by people she was when she was working and um and so that was really traumatic and you know she was using drugs to kind of cope with the pain and everything and so she was kind of in an altered state and then but chloe she kept saying i deserve everything that i've gotten i just deserve everything that i've gotten and chloe just felt this like truth rise up about how who she really is and her identity and she was singing the truth over her and she said that as she was singing she could see the walls kind of getting whittled away and um, after that, that prayer time, they had spent like an hour with them at least just in the parking lot. They had gone from being completely down and out and in a really tough place, like totally ashamed and downcast, to be able to, they all prayed together. And these two actually prayed as well. And it turns out that they had had, you know, a relationship with God in the past. The one guy, his dad was a pastor somewhere. And the girl had actually done some missions work somewhere in the past. And so they had really fallen away from that. And, um, and, and so actually they've been able to keep in contact with them. And just this last week, uh, the girl called Chloe and said, I just want you to know that your prayers haven't gone, gone in vain. She said, um, we had a really hard time after we met with you that one time. And um, I had actually gotten assaulted again. And we went through a really low point. And then she said we just kind of woke up. And, and we've been kind of on this journey upward towards God. And now the guy's going back to school. And she was, had gotten a, a different job. And um, they're doing really, really well. And they were just like, you have no idea what impact you've had on our lives. So it's just really exciting to hear the end of that story. Or somewhat of the end. Um, but I want you guys to know, there we just have printed up this new material. It's like basically like a salvation quarter page. And it's um, just the five truths of Christianity on one side. It's kind of like the Romans road. And then on the other side is just a prayer you can pray. You know, if you believe in these things, pray this prayer. And then this is what you do after you kind of give your life to the Lord. And so we want to encourage you to, to know this information, number one. Be ready. And number two, just maybe carry it with you. If you're running into someone and you're having a conversation, it gets to that point, you can just hand it out. You never know what these kind of things will do. That's how Stephanie Jones got saved, was from a little piece of paper like this. So, yeah, so just wanted to let you guys know. And that's it. Bless you.